That's big time. Minus 15. Respect all, fear none. Oh, did he spelt that one? Intensity is not a perfume. It was a no-doubter. Five, four, three, two, one. We are up in the bird's nest here at Oriole Park at Camden Yards. I'm Brendan Mortensen alongside Matt Bonaparte here in our digital studio, not on the couches because much more important things are happening in that room. We've got our producer, Amy Jennings, behind the scenes who apparently won big in bingo last night. Didn't know anybody under the age of 80 played bingo, but here we are. Can't be knocking bingo like that. By the way, I am knocking bingo very like odd that. for me to be turning left instead of right. Yeah, this is this is a um, little strange. I shout out Amy. I mean, bingo champ. I've been telling her bingo career is going to take off any moment, and now it has. Yeah, um, but this feels so like I'm her proud. big bingo break. It is. It is. I mean, if it ever was, it's now. Right. So uh, I mean, if, become a fan now. All right, bingo fans out. If you there, don't know the name Amy Jennings in the bingo sphere. You better, you better learn sphere? it. The bingo sphere. <laughs> I don't know. Is that what you call it? The bingo yeah, scene? I like that. Around bingo Baltimore? Is better than bingo scene. If you play bingo and you are under the age of 80, I'm sorry if I offended you. I just, I can't imagine that you exist. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I can't imagine that those people exist. Well, they do. Apparently they do. We have a lot of exciting stuff to talk about today, Bones. The Orioles are officially a playoff team. It's true. It was... A foregone conclusion, barring something disastrous over the last month or so of the season. But the Baltimore Orioles are officially playoff bound after Sunday's game against the Rays. They had technically locked up a playoff spot before their game on Sunday against the Rays ended because the Rangers got blown out by the Guardians and the Orioles could have made the playoffs with either a win on Sunday or a Rangers loss or a Mariners loss they got both, but I don't know if the Orioles even knew that the Rangers had lost because at that point, I think the Orioles were in the ninth inning of a very close game. At that point, it was a one-run game when the Rangers lost. So I think the Orioles were probably still playing under the assumption that they needed to win to lock down the playoff spot at home. They are guaranteed at least the second best record in the American League. So they will either be the one seed in the American League if they win the division or the four seed, the top wild card spot. They're in the playoffs. They are in the playoffs. And by the way, I think it would have been a much more muted celebration uh, on Sunday if they had lost that game. Yes. Uh, so I definitely think it helped that they ended up walking it off. Um but, yeah, like you said, they had clinched before the game had even ended. So, uh, I think, you know, you got to be happy with where they're at either way. Um, so, O's are in the playoffs and it's the first time since 2016. I mean, how could you not be pumped? Yeah. One of just four teams up to this point to have a playoff spot locked down. And at this point, again, there's still a lot to play for. You are still playing for the first seed in the American League, yep. you are still playing for the right to not have to play in the wild card series. So even though the playoffs are locked up at this point, I think every Orioles fan knows that the remaining 11 games on the schedule still very, very important for the Orioles. Yeah, and these two wins against the Astros, while both exciting, have been crucial Yeah, uh, in the AL East uh, race because... They're only two and a half games up on the race. That could change in, in a matter of three days. Right. So uh, those wins are massive for the O's. And uh, 
even though they've already had their champagne celebration and whatnot, you still got to go out there and, and compete like you haven't had it. So that's right. big. We don't usually talk about specific series on this show. We usually do some kind of bigger picture storylines, looking down the line sort of thing. But I think the Rays series, given what happened on Sunday and just how big of a series it was, warrants us spending some time going back, breaking it down. So let's talk about the Rays sure. series as a whole because it was pretty much a playoff series. Absolutely. If you got swept in this series, you are looking at a completely different final two weeks of the season. Even one out of three, uh, one out of four, excuse me, is a very, very different place than where you are right now. So let's start at the beginning of the Rays series, which got off to a disaster of a start. Easy to forget now that the Orioles have locked down a playoff spot and took the final two games of the series. But the first game, you get seven solid innings from Kyle Bradish, and the offense only puts up three runs. So you drop game one of the series. And again, going into this set, you needed one game. You needed to win one game to hold the tiebreaker over the Rays for the season series. Meaning that if the Orioles and Rays finish the year with the same record, the Orioles would be the one seed, the Rays would be the four. So you just needed one. And in game one, the offense doesn't show up. You get seven good innings from Kyle Bradish. The second game, the vibes got real low because that was the Orioles' fourth straight loss, just the second time they have done that all season. And it was a demolition by Tampa Bay. You lose that game 7-1. to one. Jack Flaherty goes four innings, three earned, which doesn't even end up mattering all that much. He could have gone seven innings, two earned, ten strikeouts. It wouldn't have mattered because the Orioles were just not touching Zach Eflin. He goes yeah. seven innings, one earned run. The vibes were not he good. He simply diced him up. The vibes weren't good. Yeah. The vibes were very low in the clubhouse that afternoon yeah. or evening. I can't remember when that game ended. But uh, it was bad. And like you said, only the second time this season that they'd lost four straight. Yeah. So everybody was a little worried. I think that the fans especially uh, were going a little doom and gloom on the team. The AL East was officially tied up. The race right. had come all the way back uh, after not going away all year long. Um, so... Yeah, the vibes were incredibly low. I remember Gunner was super sad when, when the media was talking to him, and uh, it just seemed like um, if they didn't win the next game, it could get really bad. But thank God they did. Yeah, Twitter was a straight-up bummer. Yeah, it I was. I mean, the Orioles had lost four straight games. Again, like you mentioned, the AL East was tied. And then all of a sudden, you had two games left on Saturday and Sunday that you had to win at least one of. Yeah. The Rays had all the momentum... And Friday was especially kind of a bummer, too, because it was such an exciting day at Camden Yards. It yeah. was the Adam Jones retirement ceremony. Adam Jones comes back. We see so many great Orioles from the mid-2010s team that had so much, much success. Quick tangent. I, I don't want to get off the rails here too much. Seeing the ovation that Chris Davis got oh, yeah, at Camden Yards, like I got a little choked up. I teared up. up a tad. Yeah. I did. Yeah, no, that was awesome. Um, they're only missing my guy, Felix PA, but, uh, your guy, that, Felix PA. you know, that there was a good, strong, uh, group there. Yeah. I mean, Nick Markakis was guy. back, caught the first pitch from Adam Jones. Yep. The vibes were incredible pregame. And then yeah. during the game, Zach Eflin just, I mean, killed all of the over. vibes. He, did. he simply took over. He did. Uh, it was a tough game. 
Uh, Flaherty was pitching well, as you were calling him, Big Game Jack. Big Game Jack. Uh, for a while, but yeah. he had a real short leash. Uh, yeah. Four innings, he gave up a few, Hyde took him out. Um, and the bats in that game, two hits against Eflin. One of them was the Kerstad uh, solo homer, which is probably fueled by magic, if I had to guess. So sure. I don't even know if you can count that, really, because it was a magical home run. Right. Um, so really I, it was those, one hit. I, they count on the scoreboard. They do, but, like, in a normal game, no magic. Like, right. That is probably in the one. That hit. is in the rule book. Yeah. So no magic. Really through a one hitter, but not a lot. Add in the magic from Kerstad, you get two in a run. No wizards. Um, no wizards. Um, so yeah, he diced him up. Yeah. So that sets the scene for Saturday, where all of a sudden you have the biggest game of the year, tied AL East. The Rays have all the momentum, and it goes on the shoulders of your rookie, Grayson Rodriguez. And what does Grayson Rodriguez do? Eight innings, five hits, no earned runs, seven strikeouts, no walks. Easily his best start of the year. Not even a question. I mean, it was ridiculous. Given the stakes, given just how he looked, I mean, the offense came alive too. The offense scores eight runs. Gunnar Henderson records three hits, drives in three. But Grayson Rodriguez, man, again, biggest start of his career by a mile. Yep. Biggest game of the season. Huge game. Because, again, the AL East is tied. You either go from the Rays win that game, they win three of the first four games in the division, looking for a sweep, and they're a game up in the division. Yeah. And have all the momentum Amazing. going into Sunday. Or the Orioles go back up a game with a chance to tie the series on Sunday. And Grayson Rodriguez just delivered. Mm-hmm. I mean, he went out there eight innings from a guy with that young of an arm you just don't see very often anymore. Yeah. Uh, so that in itself was impressive, but also struck out seven, didn't allow a run. I mean, he was ridiculous. He just went out there and shoved. Yep. Uh, and he, in that start, was the guy who was promised. Uh, so that was really lovely to see as well because we've seen that in his last six or seven or so starts anyway. Yeah. But for him to just put the cherry on top there, the exclamation point, and make me that much more confident in him going into the playoffs, I'm amped. Yeah, had I'm some, amped to see what he does. Had some great defense behind him yep. as well. You you looked at that game and you said, oh, he's going to win a Cy Young. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he was so good. I mean, it was ridiculously good. Yeah. Uh, everything they needed and more. Top pitching prospect in baseball for years for a reason. And mm -hmm. we saw exactly why the pressure was not too much for Grayson Rodriguez. And that game is led, again, by your two young stars in Grayson and Gunner. Adley with a nice game as well. And then you have Sunday. Again, the stage is still huge for Sunday despite the win on Saturday. You either leave with a win, a playoff spot, and a two-game lead in the division. Or... You leave with a loss if the Rangers had won, you know, the playoffs are in another team's hands and a tied AL East. Massive stage again on Sunday. Dean Kramer gives up a homer in the first, cruises the rest of the way. Jorge Lopez comes in in the eighth, gives up a few runs, and then Adley, bottom eight. Solo homer. All of a sudden, it's a three to two game. Orioles are within one. Ninth inning. Jorge Mateo on first base. And then Adam Frazier, your guy. That's my guy. Adam Frazier. I, I just wanted to be known that when he was up in that moment, I said, don't worry about this. Adam Frazier's That's got it. That's my guy. Yeah. And what did he do? Tell me what he did. He slapped a double he down the line. He slapped a double down the line. Now, 
Amy and I were going downstairs to the the, the clubhouse. That's Bingo Champion Amy Jennings that you're referring correct, to. Correct, Bingo yeah. Champ. We were going down to the clubhouse to prepare for the champagne celebration if they won. Right. Uh, and we didn't know what Adam Fraser had done until we walked by one of the custodian closets and just heard somebody said, send him, send him, send him. And I was like, and oh, they he did. He must have scored. Yeah. So place goes nuts. Uh, we're waiting outside the clubhouse, listening to Kevin Brown call the game and continue. And for two guys to be in that moment that is so big, Jorge Mateo, who we know has had his struggles at the plate this year, Adam Frazier, who, for whatever reason, despite being a, a pretty solid player this year, whenever Adam Frazier's name is on the lineup card, I mean, look, we tweet out the lineups. We see the moans and groans about Adam Frazier playing second base and just night after night, Adam Frazier delivers in clutch moments. My guy. And he did it again. Slaps a double down the line. Jorge Mateo scores all the way from first. He was going on the pitch. Jorge Mateo was so fast that I feel like he probably could have scored from first anyway, even if he wasn't stealing, because yeah. Jorge Mateo is just that guy. I'm not going to say that it was Delman Young loud at Camden Yards, but that is the loudest I have ever heard Camden really? Yards. I wasn't here for the Delman Young game, so I, I can't say that Adam Frazier's double was louder or as loud as Camden Yards got when Delman Young, of course, had the, the famous hit. But it was loud. That's the loudest I have ever heard it in my five or so years around this team. Yeah. It was um, insane. I can't say I experienced it as I was not here. I was downstairs. But right. <laughs> um, I still felt the magic of that guy screaming, send him, send him. Yeah. So I'll take that. And then the Rays and Orioles score in the 10th. D.L. Hall locks it down in the 11th. Cedric Mullins, he's now he's won two of the last three games for the Orioles pretty that much. Man. Three-run homer against the Astros on Monday night and then hits the sack fly to win the game on Sunday. Sends the Orioles to the playoffs. They were already in the playoffs because the Rangers had lost just before the Orioles game went final. But again, I don't know if the players knew that. And it was the cherry on top as the Orioles officially clinched their playoff spot. Yeah, and they went nuts. And they did. <laughs> that clubhouse celebration was... They were having a good time. They were. They were having a good time, and, uh, you know, rightfully so. Heston Gerstad also was having a good time. We were there. <laughs> we can confirm that Heston Gerstad thought that that was hilarious and was loving getting a bunch of random nonsense dumped on him, as as painful as it may have looked yeah. and as gross as it may have looked. It, it did look kind of gross. It did look pretty gross. I wouldn't have wanted to be him in that But he moment. was having a fun time. But I think he, I think he wouldn't have had it any other way. No. Um, that's what you get for being the new guy on the team. That's what you get for being the new guy, hitting the magic home run, like I said. Which wasn't um, allowed. Wasn't allowed. Um, but spurred him on for the next couple of days, perhaps. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, they had a blast in that clubhouse. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it was fun to be in the room for um, because it was just – it was cool to watch. Yeah. One of, my, uh, one of my friends had texted me and said, like, you can't wash the clothes that you were wearing in the clubhouse during oh, the celebration. I must. That they have, like, the beer and champagne. All. I, I did immediately. I washed those clothes immediately. <laughs> my, it was gross. My camera bag smells like a loaf of bread. Like a loaf of bread? Because of all the beer that was spilled yeah. on it. Yeah. yeah. It smells like wheat. <laughs> That's what it smells like. Yeah. Well. But I'll always remember do? it. Right. Yeah. That's why my camera bag smells like wheat. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like wheat. Yeah. So uh, let's just talk kind of big picture here. 
because the Orioles are officially in the playoffs again. We knew this was going to happen. But the rebuild is officially over. There were many points in this season when the rebuild felt over. There were points last year when the rebuild felt over. But right now, with the Orioles in the playoffs, the rebuild is done. You can put the period on the rebuild. It is done. And it, it feels really nostalgic for me personally. I mean, I kind of had to take a step back while I was in the clubhouse watching the celebration. I've been around this team for around five years now. This is the team that was promised. You had a lot of years of not winning too many games at the big league level. But year after year, I went on this show and talked about the guys in the farm system. Adley Rutschman, Gunnar Henderson, Grayson Rodriguez, D.L. Hall, Heston Kerstad, year after year, when the Orioles were either picking high in the draft or just developing some of the best young prospects in baseball. We always talked about the fact that years down the line, these would be the guys who would contribute to a winning baseball team up in Baltimore. And it actually happened. Yeah. There are so many teams across baseball that you can look at and say, oh, they drafted this guy really high. They drafted this guy really high. Maybe they didn't develop them. Maybe they didn't put the right pieces around them to help them succeed. Mm -hmm. But we are seeing an Orioles team that will, again, finish with, at worst, the second best record in the American League. Be led by Gunnar Henderson, Adley Rutschman, Grayson Rodriguez. Get contributions from other top prospects like D.L. Hall, Heston Kerstad, who haven't been here for too long. This is the team that we always talked about. Yeah. They're here. Mm-hmm. They did it. Yeah. And, and the thing about baseball is, you know, people talk about tanking with the Orioles, but you really don't tank in baseball because you simply don't know if the number one overall guy is going to hit. Yeah. It's not basketball. It's not football. Okay. You know, it, it's not the, the guy you take number one overall is going to definitely help you the next season. It's just not how it works. A lot of the time, picks aren't guaranteed to do anything in their careers. So... The fact that they've hit on this many prospects and and have put together a core of guys they have developed is so rare. Almost never happens these days. So for a core to be made up of guys that have been drafted incredibly recently by one team, uh, you just have to cherish it because when you look at the top prospects that this team has had over the last couple of seasons, whether it's Gunnar Henderson, Adley Rutschman, Grayson Rodriguez, D.L. Hall, Heston Kerstad, all of these guys, Colton Kowser and Jordan Westberg as well, it is so rare that a team actually puts together uh, this amount, this caliber of talent at this young age uh, and is able to actually make it work and turn it into a playoff team and not deal those guys away for uh, talent that is already established or guys that you know are going to help you make it to a playoff run. Yeah. The fact that they have gotten to this point with guys they have drafted, taking off of waivers, traded for free agency. Talk about a guy like Ryan O'Hearn or Aaron Hicks, yeah. who they found and turned into startable players who, for the organizations that had them prior, didn't feel that way about them. Ryan O'Hearn was traded away for cash by the Royals. Yep. The Yankees cut Aaron Hicks. They said, you're no good. And the Orioles scooped him right up, and yep. he's a starting outfielder. He's a really good player. And I was watching him in the, uh, in the clubhouse during the celebration thinking, 
How good must he feel right now? Yeah. I mean, there's an organization that at one point gave him a huge deal in the Yankees. They gave yep. him a very long deal, six or seven years, and they gave up on him. They totally gave up on him, said, we were wrong about you. Yep. And the Orioles took a flyer on him, and he proved the Yankees wrong almost immediately. So for the Orioles front office to have done what they've done this season is just so incredibly impressive. Yeah. And you really cannot take for granted what it is. Yeah, you've got a bunch of top 100 prospects. As I mentioned, Gunnar Henderson, Adley Rutschman, Grayson Rodriguez, D.L. Hall, Heston Kerstad, all contributors right now, all top 100 prospects at some point. You've got Dean Kramer, Ryan Mountcastle, Kyle Bradish. We're all top 10 prospects yeah. in the system. Kyle Bradish didn't start in the org. Dean Kramer didn't start in the org, but the Orioles were able to develop those guys. Ryan Mountcastle was drafted as a shortstop and has turned into a really, really solid first baseman. You have developed elite bullpen arms like Felix Bautista, who, again, was unfortunately not able to pitch over the last few weeks here, but, but was a massive contributor. He was the best player in, like, on the team for a while. Yeah, he was the best closer in baseball. crazy. I mean, they developed a back-end bullpen, the best back-end bullpen in baseball, out of thin air. Yeah, Yenier Cano. When did that happen? Yenier Cano was a throw-in piece of the Jorge Lopez trade and became, again, one of the better relievers in baseball. He was an all-star this season. You've had so many savvy moves over the years to bring in guys that have really contributed. Tyler Wells and Anthony Santander were both Rule 5 draft picks. Rule 5 draft picks almost never work out. I was about to say how often those guys pan out. Anthony Santander is a staple in the middle of the lineup, and Tyler Wells looked like your best starting pitcher for the first half of the season this year. You have made waiver claims on guys like C.N.L. Perez, Ramon Arias, Jorge Mateo, Jacob Webb, Jorge Lopez, who was a waiver claim. You traded him for great pieces and then got him back. Aaron Hicks, as you mentioned, was a free agent that a division rival cut, and the Orioles were able to scoop him up. You made small trades here and there, trades that, again, on this show, we barely talked about the Danny Coulomb trade because we were like, oh, the Orioles traded for Danny Coulomb. Like, he might be able to give you some innings. Maybe he'll bounce back and forth between AAA and the majors if you need a guy. Danny Coulomb has turned into one of the more reliable relievers on this team this season. That was a small deal. Fuji. He's looked great in flashes. Elite clubhouse guy. Yeah, Fuji really was going was. crazy he during the clubhouse star celebration. The party during the celebration, he was awesome. I mean, he he was he was going off. You made trades for Ryan O'Hearn for James McCann. How about James Again, McCann? He has been excellent. Well, he's been incredibly valuable to have a guy yeah. that you can throw in at catcher who is a, one a veteran and two a very good defensive player. How often do you get that out of yep. a guy? Uh, I mean, that trade goes undervalued. I mean, a really really strong trade there. And then you made maybe not the biggest splashes in free agency, but two really valuable pieces in Kyle Gibson, who has given you a lot of quality starts this season. We know the ERA has been a little bit up and down, but Kyle Gibson has given you a lot of quality starts, and not to mention, fantastic in the clubhouse. He was your Roberto Clemente Award nominee. That is the kind of guy you want on a young playoff team. Same thing goes for Adam Frazier. Again, he just delivers clutch hit after clutch hit. And then you have the guys who have just kind of been here through it all. Yeah. And it's so cool to see those guys finally see the fruits of everything that they have been through here. Guys like Cedric Mullins, Austin Hayes, Anthony Santander, Brandon Hyde. 
I mean, those guys have been here through the years. They have seen this team go through the low points of, again, not too many wins over the last few seasons, but they got here. They stuck it out. Cedric Mullins went from somebody who was sent all the way down to double A to try to figure his swing out, abandoned switch hitting, comes up as a 30-30 season, leads this team. Austin Hayes has struggled with injuries and was able to put together a a full, healthy, great season, makes the all-star team. Those guys have been here through the trenches, and they are now leading this team to the best record in the American League. Talk about a guy in Cedric Mullins who also, if not injured this year, would have been an all-star. Sure. at one point in his career, was known for being a guy who could bunt. That yeah. was a thing for him. He, he was would the, bunt for base hits he all the time in 2020. He was on the MLB roster because he could bunt. Yep. And he gave up switch hitting, like you said, and turned into an elite center fielder, both with his bat and his glove. Yep. How many guys do that? And you talk about Austin Hayes, who became an all-star this year. He's been His first major league appearance was 2017. He's been around for a while. And you talk about Hyde. I mean, Brandon Hyde has managed this team through a stretch in which he went 131 and 253. Yep. Not a lot of guys stick around after that, but Brandon Hyde has, and he's also one of the best managers in baseball. Yep. So to have that, I mean, is just w- what a testament to what this organization is right now in terms of the talent they have, both in the coaching staff, in the veterans that they possess, and in the young stars. Uh, it's, it's immeasurable in some ways. And it's just got to be so rewarding as an Orioles fan right now. For sure. Because... As you mentioned, not a lot of managers would stick around through the losing seasons that the Orioles had there for a bit. There would maybe be some shakeups in the front office, moves being made here and there, but it was a masterclass and a lesson in patience. Yeah. Because again, just speaking as somebody who had to talk once a week about what was going on in the minor league levels and just hammer home, like, no guys, be excited about this. This is a farm system that is deeper than any other farm system around baseball. The top-end talent is better than any farm system around baseball. These guys are going to contribute. These guys are going to win. And as much as we genuinely believed that when it was happening, you also had to see it. Yeah, because in baseball, it's not a guarantee. Exactly. You could be unreal in AAA, come up to the majors, and it doesn't translate. Right. That happens all the time. But so, we looked at we looked at those guys. We looked at Adley Rutschman. We looked at Gunnar Henderson, Grayson Rodriguez, and said, no, they are going to win. Yeah. They are going to be the next kind of generation of really good Orioles players. And then they were. <laughs> I mean, I can't get over that. That's... Like, this is the team that we have talked about for years and years, and it's solidified in a playoff berth now. And what's crazy is that they still have that talent in the the minor leagues. Yep. (laughs) You still have the number one overall prospect in baseball. You still have so, so many guys in the MLB Top 100 uh, that are waiting for their opportunity to get up to the bigs and do what guys like Gunnar Henderson, Adley Grayson are doing right now. Uh, Number one, of course, in Jackson Holiday. Uh, is is leading that charge. So there are yeah. so many guys that are still waiting in the wings to make an impression on the big leagues and help the Orioles to another playoff berth in the future. Yeah, I mean, Samuel Basayo has been talked about as a potential future number one overall prospect in baseball. Yeah. Again. Which is nuts. I mean, you have, again, Colton Kowser, who only got a brief stint in the majors this year. He's still a top 15 prospect in baseball. Mm-hmm. 
Kobe Mayo is probably a top 20 prospect in baseball. Yep. They're here. And there's yeah. more coming. Absolutely. And again, it, it is a testament to, to the roster construction around the young pieces that you have. We've talked about the draft a lot before. You have guys like number one overall pick, Adley Rutschman, first rounders in Grayson Rodriguez and D.L. Hall, number two overall pick, Heston Kerstad. But you still had to make solid moves on the margins to help support the superstar types of players that you knew you were drafting at the very top of the draft. And you can make all the arguments you want about how, you know, maybe it's easy for the Orioles to to gather this kind of talent because they kept drafting at the top of the draft. It's not true. And and when you look at the roster construction, Gunnar Henderson wasn't a first-round pick. Heston Kerstad, the number two overall pick, in that draft was probably ranked, I think, the seventh or eighth best prospect in that draft. The the consensus number two guy was Austin Martin, yeah. who has struggled a good bit. He's still, I think, 24 Everybody in AAA was right now. When Heston Kerstad's name was called. Right. We talked about it a few weeks ago. Jackson Holiday wasn't the consensus number one overall prospect yep. in last year's draft. A lot of people thought it would be Drew Jones, who is still in single A. Jackson Holiday's in triple A. No shade at Drew Jones. It's no just, shade at Drew Jones. It's Jackson just, Holiday again, in AAA. <laughs> a testament to the fact that this Orioles team, yes, they have had top picks, but this team knows how to draft. They know how to develop talent. Kobe Mayo, I think, was a fourth or fifth round pick. He was an overslot guy out of high school. Colton Kowser was a bit of a surprise pick at number five overall. He just kind of fit the archetype of what the Orioles liked. Samuel Basayo didn't get the biggest bonus in the international signing period, but the Orioles have developed him. Joey Ortiz was a fourth round pick. I can keep going down the list here. It's guys that the Orioles haven't drafted in, you know, the top five picks, whatever it may be. And then it's just the smart, small moves. Again, the, the waiver claims on this team right now, Perez, Arias, Mateo, Jacob Webb, Jorge Lopez, all those guys contributing. If those guys don't pan out, this season is so much more difficult. Yeah. If Ryan O'Hearn's swing isn't fixed, if Aaron Hicks doesn't come in and make an impact, you're in a much different situation than you are now. Uh, and obviously the headline is going to be the talent uh, of the youngest players on the team. But without the margins, like you said, without the smaller piece guys, they probably would be in a really, a lot tighter of a race right now. It would not be over. You would not have already been celebrating a playoff berth. Um, so for the Orioles to be where they are now, you have to give tons of credit, uh, to those smaller pieces for sure. Yeah. And remember the beginning of the season when Franchi Cordero had a good like week and a half and everybody wondered why the Orioles kept Ryan O'Hearn over Franchi Cordero. I do remember that. I think we found out. (laughs) I think we found out. Yeah. But just in general, so special for this Orioles team to be here again. This is the team that was promised when, when Mike Elias was preaching, patience and we were preaching patience on this show saying the minor league guys are going to come up they are going to win to see them actually do it is really special but Mm -hmm. there is still business ahead there is still a division to win as you mentioned the Tampa Bay Rays just refuse to go away the Orioles might win 100 plus games this year and the Rays are still going to be right there in the division this thing is going to come down to the wire you still have The Astros for another game here. You have, after that, 
the Guardians, Nationals, and the Red Sox left. I think right now eight is the magic number yes. for the Orioles. The Orioles have 11 games remaining, and the Rays have 10. The Orioles are currently up two and a half games in the division, which means the Rays, over the final 10 games of their season, in the final 11 games of the Orioles' season, would need to finish with a record that is three games better over that stretch than the Orioles in order to win the AL East. So the Orioles, with a two-and-a-half game lead, it's not a super comfortable margin, but it's a pretty solid margin at this point. Let's say the Rays go 7-3 and three over their final 10 games, which seems like a Rays thing to do. The Orioles would just need to be 5-6 and six for their records to be tied because the Orioles hold the season tiebreaker, which, again, was part of the reason that this series last weekend was so big. You just needed one game to own that season tiebreaker over Tampa Bay. So if the Rays go 7-3, and three, the Orioles just need to be 5-6 and six to yeah. win the AL East. You still got to keep your foot on the gas pedal. It's, it's attainable. But it looks good. It does look good. It looks good, but you got to keep your foot on the gas pedal because, you know, we know what happens when teams don't do that. Yes. Um, so it looks good for the O's. I think that they have a good shot at being that number one seed, but um, you never know. And with a team like the Rays who just never go away, uh, nothing is guaranteed. Yeah. So they have to keep uh, their foots down. This Houston series was huge. This was the series remaining after the series against Tampa Bay that you looked at and said – the Orioles can't get into that trap. Yeah. They can't lose. They, they can't get swept by Houston. You're trying, hopefully, not to lose two of three. Because if the Orioles lose two of three against Houston, I mean, Houston has the third best record in the American League at this point. Mm -hmm. And the Rays pretty easily could have caught up to you. The Astros were the most difficult team remaining on the schedule by a good stretch. After this, you have Cleveland who is eight games under 500. Cleveland is still a scrappy team. It's Cleveland. They're going to... Not a team you want to sleep on. They're going to pitch well. For they're going to play good too. defense. That's going to be a tougher four-game series. Cleveland just always plays teams well. And then you have the Nationals, who have not had a great season. They're kind of a scrappy team, but again, have only won 67 games on the year. They're 67 and 85. Then you wrap up the year against Boston. You never want to play... Division foes. I mean, the AL East is always tough, but the Red Sox, they are two games below 500. So even with a loss against Houston today, taking two out of three, I think you're very happy about that. Taking two out of three in Houston. Then you've got four games in Cleveland, and then you're home the rest of the way for two games against Washington and four games against the Red Sox. Yeah, I mean, it looks good. You know, that's all you really can say. Yeah. Um, because you can't guarantee anything, obviously, in baseball. Anybody can win on any given day, but um, when you get out of this road trip and you have Washington and Boston left, those aren't the toughest of foes out there. Um, but at the same time, a lot of times baseball is about who's the hottest team going into the playoffs. So the O's have to keep winning these games because yeah. you could win. You could be the hottest team in baseball uh, up until right now, but if you get cold these last couple weeks, you have no idea what the playoffs will look like. Right. Um, so, you know, you just have to keep reiterating. You got to keep the foot down. Yeah. And quick note before we get out of here. We had talked on, was it our show last week, two weeks ago, about the postseason rotation? Uh, it was either last week or the week before. It was either last week or the week before. 
about a potential postseason rotation. We may have gotten an indication of the answer, or at least somebody, at some point. or at least somebody who is probably not as in the conversation as we had him, and that's Jack Flaherty, who yeah. moves out of the Orioles' starting rotation. They had been running a six-man rotation with the return of John Means. Jack Flaherty becomes the odd man out, goes from the Orioles' number six starter to the bullpen, comes in and gives the Orioles really valuable few innings yesterday. Jack Flaherty looks great against Houston, but Jack Flaherty, at least I'm assuming for the end of the season here, we'll see what happens in the playoffs. Maybe he's an opener type of guy, who knows? But looking at a potential playoff rotation, it seems like the Orioles have given us an indication that Jack Flaherty will more than likely not be a part of that. Yeah, uh, and he just hasn't had the best tenure um, thus far with the O's. Uh, but, you know, I think he's still a very valuable arm, and, and if they can find situations in which uh, they can get the best out of him, whether that's out of the pen in that kind of role, then so be it. Um, if he doesn't excel the best he can as a starter for the O's, I don't see why they should try and force him to be one. Um, so I trust this coaching staff to find out where he should be. Yeah, and I think especially when you look at the playoffs, if you thought pitchers had a short leash against the Rays or against the Astros, pitchers are going to have an incredibly short reach, short leash, excuse me, in the playoffs. And if you have a starter who gives you, you know, three innings, but he gives up three earned runs, Jack Flaherty could be the guy that comes in and gives you four, five, six. Yeah. Like he is stretched out enough this season, obviously to give you as many innings as you need in the playoffs. And if you're going to have a very short leash in the postseason, Jack Flaherty seems like a pretty logical choice to back somebody up if they only give you three or four innings. For sure. I mean, that's a valuable thing to have yeah. in your bullpen as a kind of a fail-safe. To be able to throw out another guy who's a starter if somebody blows up is, is, is incredibly valuable, especially in the playoffs. Right. Well, I think that'll just about do it here for this edition of The Bird's Nest. Kind of a an overarching, nostalgic episode here as we talk about the Orioles officially locking down their playoff berth. If you weren't following along live on Facebook or YouTube, you should be. We're live every Wednesday at 11 a.m., but you can catch us after the fact on Spotify, SoundCloud, Google Podcasts, anywhere you find your podcasts or your digital shows. You can find The Bird's Nest. Big thank you to Amy Jennings behind the scenes. Bingo champ. Bingo champ. Amy Jennings, I think next week we're going to be talking most valuable Oriole. Make sure you tune in for that. He is Matt Bonaparte. I'm Brian Mortensen. Thanks so much for hanging out with us. We'll see you next time.